Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being with us. It is time for our latest podcast with the World Series set between the Braves and the Houston Astros. On the show today, we'll chat with Dave and Andy in a little bit, maybe kind of revisit what occurred somewhat during the postseason and also look forward from a Rays perspective. I think a couple of things we found out in this playoff so far are that, for one, um, your best players don't always have to be your best players. Eddie Rosario is certainly a perfect case of that for Atlanta as he had the postseason of his life in the NLCS. And maybe more than that, one cliche that does hold true is sometimes it's the hottest team, not the best team, that moves on and wins the championship. Sometimes it's both, but certainly this year it seems to be the hottest team, perhaps in both leagues. Uh, the other thing I thought we'd discuss is the minor leagues. Uh, they have just finished the Rays Instructional League program. It's revamped due to the pandemic. They are still going through some strength and conditioning programs, and some guys are doing rehab. But other than that is done. We will hear from Michael Johns, who's uh, Rays minor league field coordinator a little bit. But right now joining us, Dave and Andy, to discuss the postseason. And uh, I'm curious how much you guys have watched of the postseason uh, since the Rays were knocked out in Boston. The more I would watch the Astros and Red Sox, the more aggravated I would get thinking that we should be one of those teams. But uh, for the, so for, for most of the series, did keep a very, very close eye on the Braves and uh, in Dodgers series. I uh, was pretty impressed with the, you know, again, my favorite saying, I know Andy hears it an awful lot. I know, Neil, you hear it an awful lot as well, is your best players need to be your best players. And uh, well, I don't think that Eddie Rosario is anybody that uh, was going to pick to be an NLCS MVP. He came up with some huge hits, but, you know, Freddie Freeman was there all the time. Ozzie Albies was there all the time. Jack Peterson did some really good things. And then even though guys like, uh, you know, Duvall and Riley may not have uh, lit up the stat sheet, they did other things. Same thing with Travis Darno. He did not have a great series offensively, but was doing some marvelous things behind the plate. And then there are big boys on the mound, uh, you know, stepped up. So I was pretty impressed uh, with the way that the Braves handled things. And then, you know, I would kind of do some other things during the American League Championship Series, but then flip over and, you know, saw that the Astros won game one and Carlos Correa let everybody know it was his time. And then the next two games, it started looking eerily similar to what happened to us against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, their offense kicked it into another gear. They were having trouble getting guys out. And uh, next thing you know, I'm thinking, gosh, darn it, these Red Sox are going to do it again where they're going to run the table. But uh, thankfully, I think I can speak for all of us here, the uh, Houston Astros did indeed right the ship. They got some pretty decent starting pitching. But, you know, again, the biggest thing is I look at their numbers. The back end of their bullpen did a tremendous job of shutting games down when they got the lead. And, uh, you know, I start looking at some of the little things that we talk about throughout the season, and a swing and miss is a big, big part of it. And if you get swing and miss, which is something that was kind of lacking from a few of our guys as the season went on, it goes a long way toward holding on to slim leads. And then in the case of the, uh, the Astros, there were a couple of times where they got leads, and then they added on and never looked back. Yeah, swing and miss is a huge deal. I mean, we saw in game three of our division series when the Rays struck out 20 times. That's maybe the number one reason why the Rays did not win that game. 
And then in the in game four, unable to advance the Rosarena from second, nobody out after he had tied the game uh, in the late innings. That's uh, that's another reason why the Rays uh, didn't get farther. You know, my wife and I have a running joke every time that the Rays are in the playoffs and and they get eliminated. I come home and I'm bitter and I'm upset. And I said, I'm not watching. I'm done. I'm done with baseball for a while. I'm done with sports for a while. I just can't watch. And then the days go by and it gets a little less bitter. And then I start looking at the scores and I peek to see what happens. And my son wants to see the recaps every day. And before you know it, I'm hooked. And I watched the last couple of games of each uh, uh, league championship series. And they were very entertaining. You know, the, the, this to me, it was, especially in the ALCS, it was very difficult to find um, teams to like, to be perfectly honest, between the Astros and the Red Sox. And I know I'm nowhere near alone in that. Even in the National League side, uh, the Dodgers, people are probably a little bit tired of them. I know I'm, we've seen them so much uh, every October. Um, so I found myself looking for individuals that were all three of us lucky enough to have been around that, that I enjoy their company. I think of Ryan Stanek and Jake Odorizzi and uh, other guys for the Astros that I really like. I, I mean, Dusty Baker's an easy guy to root for. The Braves, Brian Snicker's a really easy guy to root for. Uh, even on the Dodgers, Steven Sousa Jr. is a guy that we know and we like very much. You know, Andrew runs them. Uh, and, and it just seemed like all four to notice I'm not mentioning anyone on the Red Sox. Although, look, Hunter Renfro's a pretty good guy, and Ryan Bloom's a really good guy. But um, I try to put it down to individuals to get me hooked back in. I just found myself so excited for Ryan Stanek. I don't know why that one stood out for me, but that's a guy that we saw the whole career arc for him. And now two teams after the race, he seems to have finally hit that stride where they give him the eighth inning of the closing game to win the league championship series. It was just good to see good things happen to good people. And that's kind of the way I try to look at it to get myself hooked back in. And I know every year I say, I'm not going to watch, but doggone it. I'm, it's just too much a part of my soul. I get hooked back in every year. Yeah, I, I probably felt the same as both of you in terms of, yeah, I'm not going to watch and then watched. And then, you know, what I took away from the two championship series were two things, cliches. We always talk about this. Sometimes it's the hottest teams that win. Sometimes the hottest team is the best team. I think this year it was the hottest team that won in both leagues. And Dave always talks, and you brought it up, Dave, best players have to be your best players. But I could argue the, rate, the reason the Rays were eliminated because – Kike Hernandez, maybe the fifth best player on Boston, was their best player. And Eddie Rosario was the best player for either team. And he turned out to be, and he wasn't close to that at any point in the regular season, although we saw it with Minnesota years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to na name any names on our team. But, you know, obviously, when your best players, even if they're not your best player on that particular series, and Wander Franco, no doubt, was our best player and was our best player. But the other guys, the secondary guys, or even the other best players just weren't there. That's why I said when you look at, you know, the Atlanta Braves, Rosario just went nuts during the uh, the postseason so far. And he has, uh, I think last time I looked, he was hitting almost 500 with three home runs and 11 runs batted in. But Freddie Freeman was still a huge presence in their lineup. Ozzie Albies only hitting in the 260s, but a switch hitter that is getting on base and he has scored eight runs. I was looking at some of the numbers. Jack Peterson showed the pedigree of playing in the postseason the last few years with the Dodgers. And, and I know Andy hears this a lot too. I don't believe guys rise to the occasion. I believe they don't shrink to the occasion. And I think Jack Peterson, having been there, done that, wearing the pearl necklace and everything else like that, uh, was able to come up with some big hits and uh, do the things he did. And then the other thing, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how some of these teams watch this. I think the calming effect of being able to have starters who can go more than maybe five innings 
I mean, is that blasphemy nowadays? But, uh, you know, obviously things settled down for the Houston Astros when they got a couple of big starts from their guys. And then even in the series against uh, the Dodgers for the Braves, Charlie Morton may not have gone more than five, but he got out of the first inning when I think he walked four guys and gave up a couple of runs. So I think there's a calming influence of being able to get some big innings and outs four, five, six innings by your starter in the first uh, part of the ball game, so that you can limit the amount of outs you need to get from your bullpen. But I look at that bullpen. I was looking at the numbers of the Atlanta Braves and you look at Matzik and we talk about swing and miss 10 innings, four hits, 17 strikeouts, AJ Minter, a guy that we sent back to the minor leagues. when we saw him uh, in Atlanta because he was having trouble throwing strikes, seven innings, gave up just two hits, 11 strikeouts. And even Will Smith, their closer, who hasn't given up anything, just three hits over seven innings. He is not a big swing and miss guy, but he's still got seven strikeouts. So, uh, and I know Andy brought this up a few times during the postseason. Like Lou Pinella said, you got to be able to get some outs on strikeouts. I think those were tough for us to get for a little while there in the ALDS, and the Braves have been able to get them in big, big moments because they're outs and they don't move the batters or move the base runners 90 feet or 120 feet. When they had second and third and nobody out in the, uh, what was it, seventh inning, there, there's – I mean, we faced the Dodgers last year. There's no way those runs don't score a year ago. But it's a different year. It's a different team. And, and that's why it's so hard to repeat that, quote, unquote, magic isn't always there for you. You know, the, one thing that really comes to – well, uh, one thing that I'll go back on what Dave is saying, and, and I know we may not want to mention all the individuals because, frankly, there was really only two guys that were a threat offensively for the Rays in that short postseason, a Rosarena and Wanda Franco. Outside of that, the offense basically disappeared. Uh, so, it, you know, they, they still did get four or five runs a game, uh, but that was very, very disappointing. I, I think, you, yeah, the best players have to at least have a presence, but sometimes you need surprise guys also. I mean, nobody saw Rosarena last year doing what he did or Mike Brasso's big hit or Brett Phillips' big hit. Sometimes you do need surprises from guys like Eddie Rosario is doing this year. And even Jordan Alvarez is a great hitter, but uh, it, it, what he was doing is just ridiculous, out hitting the Red Sox as a team. I, I find in the NLCS the, the one theme, and only because, you know, Dave, you and I were there in Atlanta right after the All-Star break, that team could not have been more downtrodden when we were there. Uh, the, it, that bullpen was a leaky mess. Uh, nobody was getting key outs. The Rays came back twice against them in that series, one, two out of three. Uh, and the, it, all the elements were there for the Braves to, to sell guys off. When we were in Atlanta, we were thinking, hey, maybe we could get Charlie Morton back. That was part of what I remember thinking that entire weekend. But in part, because they sold out the place like, night after night after night at the new ballpark in Atlanta, their ownership, from the way we were told, decided we're not going to sell this team off. The fans deserve it. The rest of the players deserve it. Just because Acuna Jr. is out and the bullpen struggling doesn't mean we can't revamp it. And boy, Alex Anthopoulos and that group, they just struck gold after gold after gold. And to their credit, and that's the one thing that does make me happy about them, is that, you know, you've got a guy like Brian Snicker that's been an organization guy uh, forever, 40-plus years with the Braves, who, by the way, from what I understood, was hired by Hank Aaron. How about that? When Hank Aaron was one in... Uh, a lot of things on the Braves side of things. That's a really uh, interesting little side note. But uh, they kept it together in part for him, in part for the fans, and in honor of the rest of their players. So to me, that's a, that's maybe makes them the feel-good story of the postseason. And, and he was a Durham Bulls manager back when the Durham Bulls were an A-ball team, not when they were wow. a Triple-A team. He was a Durham Bulls manager when they were an A-ball team with the Braves. 
And then there's wow. another interesting storyline. His son is like the assistant hitting coach or hitting coach for the Astros. So Mrs. Snicker is going to have uh, an interesting <laughs> next uh, week to 10 days watching the uh, the World Series, that's for sure. But I got to echo the statement that Andy just said about Brian Snicker. Uh, you know, it, had a chance to meet him a few years ago while I was sitting at uh, our, our favorite place, uh, you know, Foley's back in New York City. And uh, he came in with a couple of guys from the uh, from the Atlanta Braves uh, front office and broadcast team. And we sat at the bar and talked for an hour and he could not have been a nicer guy. So he's an easy guy to root for. We've also uh, got Charlie Morton there, Travis Darno, as we said. Uh, Jose Castro is a guy that was my uh, hitting coach back in my days with the Kane County Cougars. So if I'm going to lean anywhere right now, I'm probably going to lean toward the Atlanta Braves to try and uh, win this whole thing. But, uh, you know, again, the Astros are hitting on all strides. I was writing down some of their numbers. And, uh, you know, the length of their lineup is really going to test that Braves uh, pitching staff. There's no doubt about it. And when Jose Altuve is hitting only 200, but he's hit three home runs already, uh, the thickness of that lineup is truly going to test what the uh, Atlanta Braves can throw at him over the next uh, whatever, how many games it takes. And the Hank Aaron connection, too, really strikes me because it's the year that he died also. You know, between his connection with Dusty Baker and like we were just saying with him and the whole Atlanta Braves, I'm, I mean, Dave and I have both felt being in that ballpark that it is, it's, it, I don't know, it could be anywhere USA ballpark. And, and yet to me, they've got maybe the most popular player in the history of the game. One of the top five popular players ever. And Hank Aaron is a part of that organization for years going back to even the Milwaukee days. I think they should, if they can't name the park after him, you shouldn't be able to walk 10 steps in that place without an image of Hank Aaron. And this is the year of all the years that they're in the World Series. I, I find that somewhat heartwarming. So we know where your heart's leaning. Where does your head lean in terms of how this series sides up? Or, or, or when you size up the two teams, what's the difference between them and who do you think will win? I think Houston's the better team, but uh, I, I, I don't think that uh, – that necessarily means anything, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they're a very, very tough lineup. The, the thing that I thought was going to hurt them more that hasn't is that Lance McCullers Jr. has been out. Uh, boy, when we saw him at the end of the year, just terrific. And we saw him at the beginning of the year, just terrific. Uh, but somehow that injury did not seem to cost them uh, against the Red Sox. But they've got some fantastic pitching. You know, Framber Valdez is a guy that why don't we hear more about him? I mean, he is a spectacular pitcher. The curveball even though you know it's coming, you just can't seem to do anything with it. Uh, he almost single-handedly uh, finished off Hunter Renfro in the, in the postseason with, with pitch after pitch. And Renfro knew him from last year when he was in the lineup for the Rays in the League Championship Series against the Astros. He just can't seem to hit him, and not many can. Luis Garcia might be the X variable in the series. If he pitches as well as he did in Game 6 of the League Championship Series, he could be a difference maker. But the only thing that, that might bring them back to earth is that they don't have McCullers. I don't think their bullpen's as good as, as they've been pitching. But uh, something about the hot hand and the Atlanta Braves, uh, right now they've got that thing going, whatever that thing is. But if, I, if my heart is saying Atlanta, my head is saying Houston. I think every research and development guy around Major League Baseball right now is going to start throwing up after what I'm going to say here. But I think the, the <laughs> difference in this whole World Series is going to come down to starting pitching. I really do. I think uh, both bullpens are – are, are good. I don't think they're great. I think they're good bullpens. Obviously, Matzik and what he's been doing has been lights out. And Minter, like we said, he's been great. But we were also the team, like I said earlier, sent him to the minors because he couldn't throw strikes. I think that uh, the team that gets the better starting pitching 
uh, is going to probably be the team that comes out on top here. It's going to be a really test for Charlie Morton in game one. Like I said, as I was looking at the numbers, uh, Alvarez hit over 400 so far this postseason. You got Brantley at over 300, Bregman, uh, 280, Correa, 297, Guriel, 333, Tucker, 275 with four homers. I know a lot of that damage was done in that first series against the Chicago White Sox, but that, it's just, it's an unforgiving lineup for about the first seven guys. And then, yeah, you might be able to take a break with the bottom two guys, but then it starts all over again uh, with Altuve at the top. So, uh, uh, and then you look at the, the Braves lineup and, you know, is Rosario going to be able to continue to do what he does? But I, I think when you compare lineups, there's no doubt the Astros are better. I think when you compare defense, um, you know, it might be kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, a jump ball, if you will. But to me, the difference is going to be the starting pitching. If Morton, Freed, and Anderson, Ian Anderson can give the, uh, the Braves some length, get them into the fifth or sixth inning with leads, I think they've got a shot. But then, you know, to me, another wild card is going to be Luke Jackson. Now, they were able to use the lefties really well against the Dodger lineup. Uh, it, it's not going to work as well, I don't think, against the Houston Astros lineup. Yeah, it might uh, be able to kind of, uh, you know, I mean, we, we know that uh, in watching Brantley hit, he can hit lefties. He just Because he doesn't go up there trying to hit home runs against them. He'll just try to go to left field against them. And Alvarez can do some damage against lefties too. So uh, I don't think their pen is going to be as mighty as it might have been against the, uh, the Dodgers because they did neutralize some of their big lefties. But uh, to me, the only way the Braves win this is if those three guys, Anderson, Freed, and Morton, give them some length and give them a chance to, again, get a lead early and then build upon it before you have to go to the bullpen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we'll mark that down as we move forward a little bit. Um, after the series, obviously, the offseason truly begins for the Rays. What do you guys see as the biggest need? And if you, know, if, if you wanted to see, obviously, we're always going to have change. I think we accept that that is part of the way it goes. But what is one thing that you'd like to see added, if anything? Man, I, I, the, one, the one that got away that still irritates me is, is Charlie Morton. I think if, we, if they had known that they were going to be trading Snell, I wonder if looking back they would have been able to hold on to Charlie. And I think that he could have been such a big difference to that team in 2021. I'd like to see some sort of quality veteran starter added in. I, you know, I know they, they did it a little bit with McHugh last year, and he was really good as a reliever. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe they bring Waka back. I can't believe I'm saying that. But you know, I wonder if, if he is a really good fit in many ways for the Rays. And I know he won over a lot of their coaching staff and managers uh, and manager with the way he handled their, their want to put him in a bunch of different roles. You know, I think we saw in the division series, you know, as good as McClanahan and Rasmussen and Boz and Patino are, they all got hit in that postseason. And I'd love to see some sort of quality, experienced veteran starter added to this group. But knowing the way we do things, I'm not quite sure where they're going to be able to find that. Uh, but if there is a group that's going to be able to find that, I, I trust the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, they might be able to find a guy like Charlie Morton of six or seven years ago. Who saw that coming? I mean, uh, you know, when he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates, nobody saw Charlie Morton becoming a top of the rotation type pitcher 
that they'd want to hand the ball to in, in elimination games. And so maybe again, with our guys that, uh, you know, Kevin Ibach and Bobby Hack and, and Eric Neander and Eric, I trust, but I, I agree with Andy. Uh, I, I think the two people that I'd be looking for on this team right now would be a top of the rotation type guy. And he doesn't have to be a bonafide true ace, but somebody who you could say, I'm going to pencil in at least 180 innings and is going to be able to, you know, kind of be the foundation to again, allow Shane McClanahan to take, kind of a deep breath and not think that he has to be the number one guy allow Drew Rasmussen to continue to develop maybe as a starter and then let Shane Boz again think that I don't have to be the guy to come out here and carry the team as everybody seems to you know write about and think about that this guy's going to be unhittable I, I'd love to see a been there done that guy at the top of the rotation and then I'd like to see a been there done that guy toward the back end of the bullpen too I think we had against some guys that, uh, you know, again, Kittredge did an incredible job. And, you know, you look at some of the things that Colin McHugh did, but we also started to see, and, and, and you start to notice, the swings and misses started to go away the last six weeks of the season. Uh, I, I think we, I would love to see a bona fide end-of-game kind of guy uh, come out and fill those two roles. Now, they cost money. I mean, I'm looking at my sheet. I feel like Neil Solon's, uh, you know, where I, I already typed out the uh, Rays' current contract status that's how bored I was a couple of days ago. And you look at the guys who are guaranteed. You look at the guys that are ARB eligible that are in their third year. Uh, you know, we've got 19 guys, they say, that are arbitration eligible. You probably can knock about almost half of that number off uh, by guys that we probably will non-tender or, or maybe look to sign but, or trade. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of work to do. This is a very, very good team, though. The foundation is there. Uh, it starts not right now again with Wander Franco and company and the, and the job that he did. But I, I think, you know, I'd love to see us kind of take another step back toward the, the run prevention area of things. Uh, we, we found out that, you know what, we were able to do some nice things over the last two, two and a half months of scoring five and a half, six runs a ball game to win games. But, you know, we, we got to get back to where we can start winning those games four to two again, as opposed to trying to win every game six to four. Neil, what do you think? I, don't I want to hear Neil's point of view. I think a great example of that is the fact that when Boston was shut down, they scored three runs total in the last three games of the of the Astros series. And the Dodgers were shut down, scoring two runs in that last game against the Braves. I mean, I, I still think that pitching wins, and I think that you have consolidation of roster spots available with the fact that you do have 19 ARB eligible players, but also so many guys um, for only a 40-man roster. And whether it's two-for-ones, three-for-ones, there is the ability to consolidate spots. And I actually just blogged about this. And I think an important piece of the offseason is this. Um, where do the Rays feel Josh Lowe, Vidal Brujan, and Taylor Walls are? If any of those players are ready for big league regular roles, that means somebody else gets moved. They all can play different spots. Josh can play three outfield spots. Walls can play three infield spots. Ruhan can play three infield and three outfield spots. You're flexible in terms of who you can move, but that can allow you to get the pitching maybe that Dave and Andy and I are both looking for by consolidating roster spots. If you feel the young guys are ready, if you don't, then you have to wait to do something like the Willie Adamas trade where you get pitching back later on um, by moving guys later. But I think there's going to be some of that that occurs this off season. And, and I think, you know, from a mental standpoint, I'm just prepared and trust that, Eric and company are going to do whatever they think is best and take the best offer they can to help the team going forward. There's nothing that's going to happen this offseason that's going to shock me. Outside of there would be only one thing <laughs> that would shock me is if we traded Wander Franco. That would be the <laughs> only thing where I would go, what in the world are we doing? Everything else is just, you know what? 
like I said, an Eric we trust, or at least an Eric I trust, but I think we all do, uh, and, and, and have confidence in his staff to do the right thing. You know, there's going to be a couple of punches to the gut uh, this offseason when it comes to a guy getting traded, maybe non-tendered, whatever the case may be. And, you know, last year the same thing happened when Blake Snell got traded and Charlie Morton didn't get re-signed. I mean, we, how in the world did you think, all right, well, no worries. We're going to win 100 games anyway. There's no way you could have thought it in the moment. But uh, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, I've been telling anybody that will listen that uh, this team is probably going to win a World Series or maybe two in the next five years. I think that the talent is there. I think the, the key is, like you said, though, you're talking about Bruhan and Walls and, uh, and Josh Lowe. And, uh, you know, I think the, the question for us would be, uh, are they guys that are going to help us or are they guys that we are going to be able to move to help us with guys we get back in return? Uh, you know, I, for me, the jury's still out on Bruhan and Walls. I watched Walls, again, make a lot of really, really nice defensive plays, and people were saying he's uh, the best defensive player we have. And then I watched him on a couple of NBA green ground balls kick the ball around. It seems like he kicked one around almost every game. Um, same thing with Bruhan. looked like he could knock the bat out of his hands a couple of times while he batted, but reminds me a little bit of a guy named Ben Zobris that things were happening to him in 07 for a little while. And we know what kind of a player he became. So uh, I, I have found that over the years that despite the fact that I am a really good general manager, program director, uh, marketing guy, and I don't know why people don't ask me about uh, all the other things concerning baseball. I think I'm a much better broadcaster and that's what I should stick to. And uh, you know, I, I, I love to speculate and have some fun with it, but uh, uh, you know, I get a little nervous when Eric Neander and company make a move that I agree with because you know it's one of those things where a lot of those have some of those haven't really worked out but uh, really looking forward to see how this roster gets made over because there is going to be I think more than just uh, again subtle change with this team I think there's going to be a number of guys that may uh, move on and uh, we're going to as we always do we're going to have to put some tape on the helmets next year and who's this guy who's that guy but uh, that's what we do and that's how we stay good I think too that if you're a Rays fan in line with what Dave was saying and you too Neil that that uh, change is going to happen as it does every offseason. And when you have such a stock system and there's only so many guys that you can protect uh, in terms of adding the 40-man roster or guys you decide are going to be a part of your group, it's very difficult to judge young talent. And there will be guys that end up being good players for other teams. It's just inevitable when you have that much talent, you're going to have to either trade or not protect certain guys that will get picked up from other teams. But we shouldn't forget, too, that the Rays, get other organizations, players too, that sometimes help them as well. So, you know, change is a very difficult thing to, to deal with, but if you're a Rays fan and certainly the three of us, we've been around there for a while. Uh, it, it has to be the thing where you trust that the front office is doing the best they can uh, to want to win. And they continue to get better every year, somehow, some way. And I don't know if they can win more than a hundred, it will be fun to see, but it may not take a hundred next year. I'd rather see them uh, have a group that uh, plays a little better in October. I would agree with that. And I think, look, philosophy-wise, the thought is, by Eric and company, let's be good every year. And one of these years, you're going to kick the door down. The Braves, every year, have been pretty darn good. And they finally have gotten to the World Series for the first time since 99. The Astros have been really good for a long time, and they've gotten to some World Series. Um, the Dodgers, the same thing. I, you know, I think the Rays are in that same boat where, hey, eventually it's going to be us. Yeah, I, I think, too, when you look at just in recent history in baseball, with all these rounds of playoffs, inevitably good teams get knocked out. I mean, none of the three 100-win teams make the World Series this year, which I don't know what that says. I mean, I, I've been going back and forth with fans on Twitter. I say the postseason is random. It's just who gets hot. Some people agree, some people disagree. But uh, I, I, you keep 
pounding at it. I mean, it, how many tough postseason losses did the Washington Nationals have before they finally were able to kick the door down in 2019? Same with the Dodgers. As many advantages as they have, they kept losing in the division series. Then they kept losing in the league championship series. Then they kept losing in the world series until they finally got there. The stars do have to align for you in October. And I agree at some point for the race, it's going to happen. There's just too, too, too much talent there for it not to happen. Yeah. And when you look at the Dodgers, like you said, uh, you know, it's close, but no cigar many, many times. And then they finally did. Unfortunately, they, today, I guess, is the anniversary of the uh, Brett Phillips play. I think my oh. daughter was showing that that uh, popped up on her timeline. But, uh, you know, the Dodgers finally were able to get to the, the top last year. The Astros, I mean, a team that was built to go on a long run. You think about this. They went to the postseason that first year, didn't go, and then came back and won it all. And would not have made the postseason last year had it been a normal format. Uh, you know, obviously, 60 games all bets are off, but uh, now they're back and, and they're made their way back to the World Series. So, you know, you, you look at what the Rays have done to be able to get to the postseason. But I think we have gone from a franchise where, uh, you know, you go back 10 or 15 years after we got to the postseason 08, where we wanted to play meaningful games in September. That's no longer our mantra. Our, our mantra now is to get to the postseason and play some very meaningful games in October. And I think now it's even transformed to let's we got to win this thing. It's It's time to start putting together World Series championships and not just getting to the postseason and calling that a successful season. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it, but with that comes high expectations. And uh, I think there are some high expectations for this team next year, but um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they maneuver things. And, and uh, you know, if we can find that top of the rotation type guy, I mean, finding out this weekend that uh, Yanni Torinos is not going to be back uh, maybe until, closer to the middle part of the season because of the fracture in the elbow. That, that's disappointing because he was a guy that I was looking at that, you know, again, I'm not looking at Yanni to be a number one or a number two guy, but to be a guy that can go out there and give you a solid turn, maybe two turns through the lineup and then hand the ball over to the bullpen. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's going to, that's, a, that's a step backwards, no doubt for the race. That did not help our plans for 2022, but uh, you know, we've got a lot of guys that are getting ready to come off uh, the injured list we got some thickness in the bullpen. We've got some guys who give us some length. Uh, there, there's, there's, when you think you have enough pitching, you want to go out and get more. Well, we're getting a lot more pitching, but I still, like I said, would love to see uh, the bookends. One guy at the top of the rotation, one guy at the back of the bullpen. Again, maybe who knows what's going to happen with Nick Anderson. I mean, you know, Nick Anderson, if we had the Nick Anderson, if we had last year's bullpen this postseason, uh, it, it, it might have been a different story, to be honest with you. So uh, not having Nick Anderson at Nick Anderson peak level, really kind of hurt us here in 2021. Well, here's to a healthy, successful offseason. I'm sure we'll talk to you guys plenty, but in the meantime, enjoy the series. Well, I only talk once a month on podcasts. I don't know if I just want to make sure that uh, everybody knows that. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm out until December. Or no, or is this going to go on before November? Or Yes. Uh, I guess I'll talk. No, I'll talk to you in November. No, it's it's fun talking. And uh, I love, you know, again, this is where we, we just, just went by in a, snap of a finger love talking about the game and love talking about the Rays and it's really going to be uh, an interesting interesting offseason for the Tampa Bay Rays why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America you don't just go for a road trip you ATV and zip line through the jungle you don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And uh, looking forward to Seattle Plays Out. Looking forward to talking to you guys about it, too. 
Great to chat with Dave and Andy on the podcast, and uh, obviously we'll have them on plenty of times during the course of the offseason. Time now to chat a little bit on the minor league side with Michael Johns, Rays minor league field coordinator, about Instructional League that has uh, all but wrapped up other than some strength and conditioning programs. And Michael, we appreciate you joining us. Tell us a little bit about how different things are this year than in the past. Yeah, thanks for having me, Neil. Um, yeah, we just finished our all of our baseball activity. Um, we had a lot of moving pieces going on the last uh, four weeks. Um, we kind of broke the camps into what we call an elite camp. And the elite camp was for about two weeks, where mainly our younger guys are newly drafted players, some younger Latin players, guys that are kind of, you know, been in the system for a year or two. Um, and then we had a, also a skills camp, which was more for an older group. Um, and then we had a skills camp too, which again was players anywhere from low A to triple A. And then we had a strength conditioning camp. So we've had a lot going on. It's been really awesome. Um, it's completely different from any instructional league that we've ever run. So we kind of just called it a fall camp series and it's been great. Um, some of the, you know, some of the differences are we kind of limited our pitchers innings this year, rightfully so after a COVID year. So we didn't have a lot of pitching to, to play games against other competitions. So what we did is we were able to earmark a few guys that were rehabs, some pitchers that are going to the fall league and need a little bit of tuning up. So we're able to play some inner squad games with the elite camp, but mainly it was designed to do a lot of individual work with a lot of these younger position players. So it sounds like, let's say guys who already had gone through a full season, this is kind of a way to kind of move the ball forward a little bit, get at ideas to where they need to improve for next year, start to set a foundation for that. Yeah, for sure. That's probably, you know, the, the way that's, that's well put. Um, and, and really with the elite camp, our goal was to really have a, a, a staff to player ratio of two to one. And I think we did a good job of that. Um, so the players really got a lot of individual attention, particularly position players. Um, we had pitchers that were able to go in the lab and do a lot of the edutronic um, camera stuff. So I thought it was a really good opportunity for us to get to know our newly drafted players as well as, well as our younger Latin players that, Again, I've only been in the system for a couple of years and then get a lot more individual attention with some of the older guys. From Let's let's back up a bit. For the guys who, let's say, were newly drafted and you only had the, the Florida Complex League and very few at-bats, very few innings for some of these guys coming out of the college season. And for the Latin players who may have just come over to the States, you don't have the Princetons, the Hudson Valleys to play out anymore. Who are some of the guys that maybe jumped off the page in terms of what you got to see in the in the two or three weeks that you spend time with them? Yeah, we'll just start at the top. You know, obviously Carson Williams is a big name for us. Um, he was our first pick taken this year, shortstop out of California. And, you know, really good actions, uh, has a 80 arm and power to all fields. And it was really fun to just kind of work with him and do some individual stuff with him on defense, on offense, base running, the whole gamut. Um, but he's obviously the first guy you talk about. And then you Spikes, who – was another high pick, um, an, an infielder that we're still trying to learn what positions he's going to be able to play. He looked really good at second, really good at third. It's a bat-driven profile, and he's uh, going to be really exciting. And then Carson Kinney, um, who you know we didn't know a whole lot about, um, and again another bat-driven profile that really made some some strides defensively. Played some second, played some third. He can really swing the bat. Um, and then th- you know those were kind of our top high school picks that. We were able to get our hands on, you know, for two or three weeks. And then, you know, some of the college bats, uh, Manzardo, who was the first baseman that can just really, really hit. Um, And it was exciting to see him 
you know, go up against some really good arms and just the way he was able to control the strike zone and, and show power to all fields. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. And then, you know, to, to touch on a little bit of a, a few of the, the Latin players, Willie Vasquez, who had a really good fall complex league, um, got a got a chance to get a lot of at-bats and then was able to finish up the season in Charleston, got a really big hit for them in game five to kind of put them over the edge and win it. Um, but just a really exciting, big, athletic shortstop that – maybe plays third, second down the road. But right now we're just kind of seeing where he fits. But it's it's an exciting athletic body that a lot of energy. And, and you know, Willie Vasquez really reminds us a lot of Willie Adamas at that same age where there's just such a such an energy about him when he comes to the field and he makes everybody better and just really a joy to work with. It's pretty um, impressive to hear anyone uh, compared in that way. How about on the pitching side? How did some of the young arms look that just got into the system? Well, you know what? We didn't see a lot of the young arms um, a lot, and mainly because they had they were coming in with 70, 80 innings in college, and normally that's okay, and you try to tack on another 20 or 30 innings, but, you know, they were already kind of at their 100 inning mark. So really what we were able to do is see some of the rehab guys, uh, like Peoples, um, is coming off, you know, an injury, and he was able to throw some innings. And then we really got a chance to see a lot of the fall league guys, um, Carlos Garcia and Peguero, um, some of the guys that are going out there to, that didn't have a ton of innings and they're older, so we felt pretty good about the workload that they would be able to handle in the fall league. Uh, Trevor Brigden from Canada, he's out there right now. And, um, yeah, it, it was good. I mean, I think going into this, we didn't think we had any innings and we didn't think we were going to play any games. And as it got closer, we were like, you know what, we earmarked a few guys that were able to give us some innings, and uh, it was really good. Um, another arm, uh, Mello, really tall left-hander, was able to tack on some innings for him at the end. And, and actually, Colin Poche, who is coming off you know an injury, as you guys all know, he was able to throw a lot of live BPs, throwing a game. Um, and so it was really good for our hitters to be able to see big league pitching. And I would guess for him, too, just to go into the offseason, to feel a comfort level knowing he had thrown in games and, and felt good coming out of it physically. Yeah, I think that was kind of the goal with Hark, um, who's been with him every day. And, and just that was exactly it. Elo's there, the carry's there. He's finishing his breaking ball a lot better than I think we ever thought he would at this point. So he looked really good, and he was in really good spirits. He was in the strike zone. Um, he looks good. He looks healthy. So really excited to see what he's going to be able to do when spring training breaks. You know, touching on pitchers, you, you mentioned that guys had hit their innings limits. Obviously, when you didn't play in 2020, you got to be careful with that. So is there a lot of pitch design of, let's say, this guy we think needs a changeup or a sharper breaking ball? And who are some guys maybe that, that um, you thought – and the organization thought made some really good strides with pitch development in this camp. Yeah, well, I think I'd, I'd like to go back to Mello just because it's a, it's a really tall body. I mean, you see him, and you're like, all right, that's what a pitcher should look like. He's six five, six six, a lot of moving levers, and he's got on a great job as a major league slider. And I think whenever we started this camp, you know, that was kind of a goal to get the slider better, get the fastball command better, because when he's in the strike zone, it's as good as it gets. Um, so it was really fun to see him develop. And, it was, and, and again, touching on peoples, it was good just to see him on the mound and able to, uh, to, to navigate through some of our really good young hitters. Um, and then, obviously, the fall league guys were, you know, they, they're pretty polished already. And, uh, and, and Caleb Sampson's another guy that's going out with the fall league. And just to get him on the mound again after an injury that, you know, basically took him out halfway through the year in Montgomery, um, it was really good to see his his pitch shapes. You know, we're back to where they should be. And, and for Sampin, it was really about getting his command back because he's a command pitcher. 
And he somehow lost that a little bit at the beginning of Montgomery. And to see him back on the mound and, and filling up the strike zone, it was, it was really neat. From a position player standpoint, among some of the older players that you brought in, who are some of the kids that you did bring in and who maybe made, you know, some, some substantial changes or adjustments that you think are going to really help next year? Yeah, so Skills Camp 1 started the same time as the Elite Camp, which would have been the first Monday three, three and a half weeks ago. And it was a very small group, mainly a Latin-heavy group. Um, Jonathan Aranda, who ended up being the Southern League Player of the Year, was in that group, and he's now playing in Mexico. But, you know, we, we knew that it's a bat-driven profile, again, that a guy that we don't want to pigeonhole at first base this early in his career. So we're trying to really get him a lot of, of reps, quickness at second base, third base. He did a lot of nice work with the strength and, and conditioning guys and really just kind of cleaning up the feet. You know, he's got really good hands. He secures the ball. But just the, the agility right now is the one thing that he's lagging, and he did a really nice job. Um, Pedro Martinez is another guy who played shortstop in, in Bowling Green the whole year and, and really was at a level that probably was a little bit over his head just in terms of age. He was, I believe, the youngest or one of the youngest players in the league, and you know, he's a really, it's a true shortstop, um, true shortstop actions. And he he also did a lot of quickness, a lot of stuff with the strength coaches. But really, he was there to, to, to try to, to get the bat going a little bit, both from the right side and the left side. And it was good to see all the work the hitting guys did with him. And I think he's left in a really good spot. Um, and then another guy in that camp would be Diego Infante, who had a, a tremendous year, uh, player of the year, I believe, in Charleston. And just uh, another, and I keep saying this, but it is a bat-driven profile. So we're really trying to, you know, work on the defense, um, work on the what we expect a major league outfitter to look like to to secure the the sixty fifty percent balls that are to his left, right over his head, and and he was awesome. I mean, these guys, you know, they'd work for two or three hours hard, and then they, you know they were able to go out and be 21, 22 year olds and just have a normal day. But I thought we got a lot of work in in a in a, in a small amount of time. And how about some any other older kids stand out, Michael, in terms of prospects and some of the things you did with them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then we had a skills camp too, which actually just ended on Wednesday, and it was a it was a much bigger group, but we had a lot of staff there. So that, again, there was a lot of one on one. But some guys that, that stand out: Evan Edwards, obviously, big power out of NC State, guy we got in a trade, first base, and I was in Bowling Green, hit a bunch of home runs, and and he did a lot of work with. You know, strike zone discipline, um, a lot of skinny bat with a nerf uh, ball that would you know, try to clean up the hand, the hand-eye coordination. Uh, but I thought he did a really nice job at first base. And what we're trying to do with him now is maybe see if he's an option to play in the outfield as well. As you know, our big league team likes guys that can play all over. And, and so that was introduced to him, and he really took to it. It was really awesome. Um, another guy, another outfielder who had a really good year in Bowling Green was Kazar. Um, he's really kind of come on the scene kind of late in his career, um, and he, he was outstanding. Another guy with, with huge power and really just kind of working on the, the strike zone discipline, um, swinging earlier in the count, um, but he was really good. And then we had Alika Williams there as well. Alika, you know, the shortstop from the first pick in the draft for us a couple of years ago, true shortstop, true shortstop actions, and really just trying to put a little bit of weight on him um he kind of you know lost some weight as the season went on which a lot of of infielders do a lot of players do but we did a lot of stuff with him in the weight room a lot of stuff with the heavy bat in the cage um and it was really nice to see and then ford proctor was another guy who's a little older just converted into catcher this year uh did a lot a lot of defense with him i mean his day was probably an hour of catching and, and maybe 15 minutes of hitting and 
I think he, he left in a really good spot. And, you know, there's so many names you could touch on here, but I think at the end of the day, we tried to ask all these guys, you know, what did you get out of the camp? And all of them were just very excited about where they're going to, where, where they're leaving the off season. Um, they're obviously going to have some downtime, but they kind of know what they need to work on, where we seen, where we see them um, next year and, and what they need to work on. So I think it was a, a really successful camp. And as long as the players got a lot out of it, that's, that's what we're after. Michael, you mentioned, you know, Fort Proctor, a, a conversion guy. Was there anyone else you moved position-wise? I had heard Patrick Marino, who, who's a player you signed out of Cuba, is now playing some first base in addition to outfield? Yeah, he is. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was kind of pigeonholed to right and left field, probably not a true center fielder. So we, it's kind of the opposite of what Evan Edwards did, where Evan went to the outfield. We put Moreno at first base for about two weeks, and it went a lot better than I think any of us anticipated. You know, his body worked well over there. His glove worked a lot, worked really well. Um, I think it went a lot better than what we thought if we were honest with ourselves. And then, and interestingly enough, with Moreno, we actually had Tomas Francisco work with him. Tomas is our catching coordinator, and he did a lot of just hand stuff with him, receiving stuff, and not to catch, but to catch the ball at first base. And at first we thought, is this going to work? You know, is Moreno going to think he's going to catch? And then, you know, it actually transferred over to the half field where, you know, he was able to show all the, the, the good glove presentation. And, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's probably the only other one other than a shortstop maybe going to third or a second baseman going to shortstop. Um, those are all pretty much the uh, position player changes. And, you know, you've mentioned a lot of guys who, who have profiles, hit profiles. Is this as strong as you guys have been in the organization since you came on board, Michael, in terms of offensive ability for the entire organization? Yeah, I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like this since, since 2007. Just the offensive production that we've had from AAA all the way down to the Dominican League. Um, guys that just are able to, to, to hit the ball over the fence. And we've always had a lot of guys with gap-to-gap power and, and you hope the power, the over the fence power comes, but these guys have some serious, serious power. And I, like you said, no, I've never seen anything like it. The other thing too, that I think is really neat is all these guys enjoy competing. They like competing against each other. Obviously there's a lot of good players in the system. They know that and they know they can't take a rep off or a day off because there's the next guy's up. So it was really fun to watch these guys just compete in just the most monotonous of drills, you know, in October in Port Charlotte when it's a hundred degrees. And I think that, uh, you know, we're able to create an environment for them where they were still competing, even though there wasn't a game uh, every day, they were able to compete with each other in the drills. And on that end, normally, you know, we mentioned that October, you guys usually have a normal instructional league. January, February kind of been a time where you would bring in minor leaguers and you really couldn't do that last year because of the pandemic. Is there a hope that you can get back to that and bring some of these guys back almost like a checkup in January to just see how they're coming along and continue the teaching? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, Neil. I think, you know, I just want to touch on one thing real quick. During the, during the COVID, during the pandemic, what our coordinators and coaches did by keeping contact with these players, let them know that we care about them as people and just really checking in on them weekly. I think it went a long way into the success of, what, of the success we had this season. Uh, not only in terms of wins at every level, but just in terms of developing players. Uh, but to, to your point, I think that because these camps went so well, I think we are going to do some in January and February. We've, we've done something like that before. Uh, it's been mainly geared towards strength conditioning and not a whole lot of baseball activity. But I think right now that just in talking to all these guys before they left, they would love they're, – they're all itching to get back in January or February and get cranking a little sooner. 
Well, that's great to hear. Great to hear that enthusiasm and so many guys took a step forward. Hopefully many more to come. And Michael, we appreciate some time. I know you guys all have a, a busy off season just trying to figure out how it all pieces together for next year. Yeah, we are. You know what? We're already working on it and somehow it always comes together. <laughs> we always stress in October, November and, and, and for somehow we break camp and spring training and everything just kind of fits. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for that to be the same way that in 2022. Certainly appreciate the time of one Michael Johns, Rays minor league field coordinator, as well as Dave and Andy. Uh, from here forward, we will have podcasts. Probably the next one will be after the World Series, unless there's something of note from a newsmaking standpoint. In November, if the Rays have award winners, whether it's Kevin Cash's manager of the year, Randy Rosarena as rookie of the year, uh, we definitely will have uh, podcasts on that. And also as news breaks, during the course of the offseason. Plus, we also have blogs, and we do do several of those a week at raceradio.moblogs.com. In fact, in our latest, I looked at the importance of Josh Lowe and Taylor Walls and Vidal Brujan and now how they fit and how they may impact what the Rays do during this current offseason. Um, thanks again for being with us. We'll chat with you soon. And until then, enjoy the World Series, everybody. 